Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of Nadja Kominich from studying political science to becoming the head of business development at Lemlist and helping them go from one to $10 million in ARR in three and a half years. Nadja has become one of the most powerful voices on all things sales on LinkedIn. But check this. Today, Nadja lives in Serbia, is a YouTube host, and has two Labradors, one cat, and a bird. And today is ready to take Lemlist to $20 million in ARR by the end of this year. And today, people, I've pinned her down, man. Specifically, talk about how to use storytelling to craft compelling call to actions inside of your cold messaging. What's happening, my friend? Welcome to the show. Hello, Ravi. This was an amazing introduction. Thank you so much for this. My cats, my bird, and my two dogs are saying back to you, hi back to you as well from from the from my flat here in Serbia. <laughs> well, well, listen, you, you got a good story, right? That's exactly why the introduction was good. And for context for the listeners, you know, two and a half years ago, you were fired from your sales role alongside 60 mm. other team members. Now, you could have dug deeper into political science, maybe gone into journalism, given your background. So what made you say, you know what, I want to go back into sales? Yes. So basically, as you said, it was a very funny moment uh, two years ago. As a, as you said, like I was fired literally on a Zoom call on a Friday night, 10 p.m. Uh, with 60 other of my teammates. Uh, and it was uh, in a lockdown. My computer got shut down. It was just like a nightmare of, a, of an evening. Uh, but I'm not the one to back down uh, ever from a challenge or like uh, that kind of a, even inspired me even to kind of a, take a deeper uh, look into what I want to do in my life. And obviously, like I was also leading a sales team at my previous company where I got fired. So this was something that I didn't want to back down from simply because, you know, this one challenge kind of a get got into my way. Um, and I really decided, like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to proceed. And then came along Lamless, which was an amazing opportunity that was offered to me back then. And uh, I willingly accepted it. And I didn't regret that decision ever since then. Well, Lemlist is one of those companies that if you log on to LinkedIn, you can't go <laughs> a couple of days without somebody really talking about Lemlist. So I'm curious for you, what was it about Lemlist which made you believe that this role was a no-brainer? Because being a sales leader is tough. Mm. Oh, that's a great question. And uh, one of the things I actually said no to my CEO when uh, when he proposed initially like uh, an offer for me to join Lemlist because at that time I was with a with a previous company and I didn't want to like leave my team. Uh, but he was very persistent. And one of the things that he told me in the email that he messaged that he sent to me back then was that he doesn't only want to make me a, like a sales leader that is going to be successful and like uh, make um, make our company go to the uh, 20 million in, annu in annual recurring revenue, but also that he wants me to become like a thought leader and a strong woman voice uh, to actually inspire other salespeople, especially sale women in sales 
to actually go after after this career. And this is something that really like piqued my interest. Uh, I've never built my personal brand in the past. Uh, I really wanted to kind of get my voice out there. So this was really something that hooked me onto the onto the idea of joining Lamas. Mm, well, that's that. I suppose segues nicely into something that I want to acknowledge you for, Nadja, is you are bringing up something right now through your content, through your thought leadership content, which I think is a tricky subject for many because they don't know how to approach it. And here's what I mean. You recently spoke uh, about rather what it was like to lead during the pandemic. And you mentioned that being a sales coach wasn't enough and that you had to also put your psychiatrist hat on because you're dealing with human beings. And one of the things that you do beautifully is you don't just focus on the salesperson, you focus on the individual. So what's one thing that you've been doing during the pandemic to really focus on the human being as well as the salesperson? Uh, that's a lovely question. And I would say definitely like we've had pandemics right now. My team is actually going through the war in Ukraine because I have some team members located in Ukraine, meaning that for me, like my management style for the last two years is has been anything else but only managing. It was also like coaching. But on top of that, as you said, like I was wearing this psychiatrist hat uh, for two years now. What really helped me a lot was actually having a deep understanding even before the people joined the company when I was hiring them. Who are they? Like what inspires them? What drives them? What is what do what do they feel is success to them? Um, and then really going into the like, individual level, understanding that person, understanding what triggers them in the first place was really something that helped me out once they joined the company. And once they've joined, obviously, I had already a perspective of how, like, what makes them tick and what kind of communication would actually work with them. And I kind of split them into the couple of buckets, like uh, different buckets of like uh, uh, team members that I've had in a team of who actually prefers different types of management styles. Um, And uh, throughout the two years, like one-on-ones with them was the most essential part that I've, uh, that I've done in terms of like, not only speaking about like, you know, typically you would have leaders come to the one-on-one and asking like, okay, updates on the KPIs, on the quota, where are you, what are you doing, et cetera. For me, one-on-ones were really focused on them, what they're going through, how are they feeling with the work, are they feeling overwhelmed, uh, is there anything that I can do to help out, and really talking uh, honestly and transparently about what they're going through also in their personal lives, really not digging deep into their personal life, obviously, but uh, just having a general understanding of uh, where they are in their lives and how they're feeling currently, how are they able to even go to work and like really conduct the best work they, they can. I can tell that you're somebody who very focused as well on personal development. I can feel mm. that's a value that you really care about. Now, I do want to get into the meat and bones of today's episode, right? But <laughs> what I want to do before that is ask you a question that I was thinking about before the show. And I was thinking, okay, now just clearly very focused on personal development. Uh, she's also got some very lofty professional goals, meaning $20 million in ARR by the end of 2022. And for those of you that don't know, this is bootstrap people without any funding. They've rejected tens of millions of dollars of funding at Lemless. So my question to you is, is personally, if you don't mind sharing, what is hmm. one thing that you're currently fearing is the wrong word, but scared about? Like it's a, it's a bit of a fear for you as you scale professionally to this next level what is one thing personally that you're up against right now 
a good question in terms of like um because I'm very self-aware and I'm always digging into like I I have a lot of fears like anybody else, but like I'm very aware of them. So like I try to challenge them as soon as they kind of I, I feel them them coming. I'm definitely like scared as hell right now in this situation. Like our aim, our goal is to go to 100 million in the next uh, five years to become first bootstrap startup in in Europe. For me personally, like I have this kind of imposter imposter syndrome coming up. You know, like, am I able to do it? And do I have skills that are going to be able to take us to that 100 million? Uh, can I actually lead the team that is going to rise to like, I don't know, 50, 60 sales reps? Can I do it? I think that's the question that I'm actually asking myself. And it's not so much as a fear. It's much, it's more of a, also an encouragement for me to kind of keep on learning and upskilling as we're growing, because we need to, we really need to grow uh, faster than the company is growing and I think this is kind of the constant race that I'm facing with uh, that kind of brings a bit of a fear and anxiety into me. But again, it's kind of a positive fear that I'm facing every single day. Well, to hear you say that, I'm sure a lot of listeners right now are going to go, Whew, okay, well, if Nadja's feeling it, that's cool, right? I'm good because you know what? You're an inspiration to so many people on LinkedIn. So I appreciate you being vulnerable with that. Thank you, my friend. And by the way, for those, I, I've got to say it again, for those of you that don't know who Lemlist are, go check out Nadia and her CEO. On LinkedIn, they really define B2B marketing done the right way. They are so personal and they have so much personality. It's not boring in the slightest. And for me, that's where the beauty is, man. That's how it should be. Anyway, I digress. Let's get into it. So <laughs> as you know, today's episode is about using storytelling to craft compelling call to actions inside of your cold messaging. Now, I was watching a show that you did maybe last year, and you said that you get pitched on LinkedIn around 40 times per day. So my question to you here is, is what's the one biggest mistake salespeople are making today with their call to actions when cold messaging? Mm. With call to action specifically, definitely asking for a meeting straight away uh, without even confirming there's an interest in the first place. I would say that there are actually top three mistakes that I see repeating all the times, not only about the call to actions, but in general in the outreach, which is first uh, making it about themselves. So like you're, you would reach out to somebody and you would only talk about like, you know, I'm a co-founder of this business. This is what we're doing. Do you want to have a chat? without really understanding that person and making the message about that person that you're reaching out to. Second of all, even if they're personalizing and making it about this person that they're reaching out to, it would be completely ingenuine. I think this is the personalization mistake a lot of uh, salespeople make. So they would use something like, uh, I saw we went to the same university, but uh, uh, and uh, right now, I'm gl glad to connect. We said, went to the same university right now. I'm uh, leading this company, et cetera. Do you want to have a demo or, or, of the product that we're selling? Uh, so like, uh, even if they're personalizing, it wouldn't be like genuine, um, genuine information about what they were impressed about, about the information that they found, and actually showing what is the reason that they're reaching out in the first place. And then really asking for a meeting straight away. Like, I think that that's the mistake that we see like on LinkedIn more than anywhere else, but also in the emails. And uh, I think it's a really sales, no matter the scale, whether in your, uh, if you're in the targeting early stage companies, mid-market or enterprises, you need to have patience. And I think this is where people really uh, make a lot of mistakes and like really tend to rush it. 
I heard you say recently, you say, listen, you wouldn't ask somebody to marry you on a first date. You wouldn't go to the bar and say, hey, will you marry me? Uh, if somebody did, they'd probably get slapped straight away, right? So yeah, exactly. you wouldn't, why would you do it in LinkedIn? You know what I'm saying? So I like, I like yeah, exactly. that a lot. So tell me this, got on the back of what you said, Nadja, if a salesperson is trying to reach out to somebody and they want to be genuine, but there's no commonality, there's nothing, what do they do? So the question that they should ask themselves is, why are you reaching out to this person in the first place? Because there was a reason that you've picked this company and this prospect to reach out to them. And if there is no reason, then you didn't do your lead generation properly. Like uh, if you're reaching out to somebody just randomly without like any relevance whatsoever, that's not the person you should be reaching out to in the first place. Uh, obviously, like we have companies that are uh, in a, a bit of a different industries, maybe where the information is harder to find. Uh, in that cases, obviously, company level information is something that you can use. Every company is going through a different stage of growth, different stage of uh, objectives that they are having currently. And you can always leverage that for, for your outreach. Um, and uh, this information is uh, often easily uh, easily easy to find, whether on Google or, or on their website. So there's always the reason that you're reaching out. And if there is no reason, then rethink uh, who you're targeting in the first place. Mm, ladies and gents, have a listen to that. Nadia, Nadia rather said relevance. She said relevance. Mm. And that was cool. I like that. You know, there's got to be some relevancy there. And yeah, do your research, people. Do your research. So Nadja, what for you personally, what is the most effective medium for you and your team? Is it LinkedIn, email? What are you finding the most profitable right now? I would say that it's a combination. And uh, in today's sales, I don't think that uh, using only one channel is going to get you far. Uh, depending obviously on the industry. But uh, I would say that for our own industry right now, what is most effective is definitely combination of email and LinkedIn, uh, followed sometimes by the cold calls, but we are not really strong on that. So like we're really focusing on the email and LinkedIn in the first place. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. And when it comes to, I, should, I think I should have asked you this earlier now, but I'm thinking <laughs> what's the most memorable cold message uh, that you've actually received over LinkedIn or email. We spoke about what's the mistakes that people make, but what is the most memorable message that you've received where you've been like, hold up, yes, I'm in. Whatever you're, whatever you're selling, I'm in. So it was actually a message from, I can't even uh, believe that I remember this message right now, but it was actually a message from a, a girl from Serbia that is not even in sales that uh, actually wanted to enter the sales uh, sales industry. Um, and she messaged me with a very long message, I have to say, which wasn't really that good on when you're reaching out via LinkedIn. However, the message was so well-researched and so personalized that I just had basically the call to action for her was just to have a networking chat with me and uh, talk to me as a mentor, like to see like if this is something that she would be willing to do or like if it's a good idea for her. And she's she's written it with such a genuine care and such a personalized approach, very well researched that it just blew my mind. And I was like, I immediately responded like, listen, you don't even have to have a chat with me. Like you can just go into sales right now. Like what you've done right here, this is what you should be doing with any prospect. But that was definitely one of the messages that I was, uh, that I was really happy to, to receive. It's really interesting you say that because you said the word genuine, but I could tell from your reaction that it just felt genuine. And it's so exactly. interesting, right, Nadja? You can feel when something's mm. just so disingenuous mm. versus genuine. It's 
it's not just down to what we say, you know, it's how we say it, it's how we say it. So, you know, when it comes to storytelling, Nadia, for you, how do you define storytelling in a sales context? Uh, I would say that right now, like obviously today, um, I mean, you're, you, you're, you're the one that knows the most about this, I would say, but like when it comes to like catching the people's attention, you really need to kind of have a story behind uh, whatever you're trying to kind of communicate back to them. Uh, people, as we know, like we, they don't really relate to, they relate to people, they relate to the story and they, uh, they will react once they feel the emotion and the best way to arouse that emotion is through the storytelling. In sales specifically, there is obviously like you will have different angles. Uh, personally, what I try to do every time that I'm reaching out to my prospects is to find the common ground through my story. So whether it's like me being a saleswoman from Serbia, uh, going into sales, and then if I'm targeting any woman sales leader, this would be kind of the story behind uh, that I would kind of use and leverage in my outreach. Or if I'm targeting, um, I don't know, VP of sales at a larger corporation that managed to kind of grow bootstrapped as well, I would use the story of us growing bootstrapped for my outreach. So there are a lot of things like I think people get stuck on like just common interests or common um, traits that they have maybe amongst each other. But like there are a lot of things that you can use to actually use your own story of uh, your company, of uh, your own upbringing or your own, uh, I don't know, career path that you can use in your outreach. And once you bring it into the uh, outreach itself, then it feels genuine and it feels human and it feels something that where people can relate to you as a person and not to a simple cold email that they would receive in their inbox. I think one thing you do so amazingly well, Nadja, is through your challenges and vulnerabilities, just like you did on this podcast, by the way, at the beginning about sharing imposter syndrome, you allow people to see themselves through mm. you and your challenges. And it, it's mm. super cool the way you do that. It's super admirable, rather. My question to you, though, is if somebody wants to share their story inside of a cold message, when do they do that? Do they do it in the first message? Do they do it once they've built some rapport or caught their attention? When does somebody share their personal story in the sales process when it comes to cold messaging? So it, I would say that it really depends on like the type of outreach that you're doing. But I will give you an example of one of the campaigns that I'm currently running and how I'm reaching out to, to prospects currently. Um, so what I would do, for example, is that I would look for companies that have uh, just crossed 10 million in uh, annual recurring revenue, such as we. Um, and uh, what I would do is I would reach out to those people and I will tell them like, OK, hey, I saw you. And then I would have like a personalized line saying that I saw you've just crossed your 10 million, that you were growing and investing into this in product tech, whatever it is. And then the way that I would bring vulnerability and like some authenticity into my email or message on LinkedIn is that I would share my own fears. So I would say uh, I was in the same spot a couple of months ago, like we just crossed our 10 million right now. Obviously, like there's a lot of pressure happening in my team and myself. Just curious how you're actually right now handling this, this and this. And it kind of creates like you're slowly introducing the story. You're not pushing it and like telling the entire story, like in the first message itself. But if it's a story that you can like then prolong in the follow-ups, that's super beneficial. So it really depends on like the type of, again, story that you're going to use, outreach that you're going to do. I would say that don't like pitch them like your entire life story in one message. Obviously, that's not really a good idea. Try to kind of get an answer first, start a conversation and really, as I said, like try bringing that, those information more and more into the communication once you have actually response in your inbox. 
And that's why call to action shouldn't be to book a demo. It should be to get an answer, which is, are you even like interested about this? What are your thoughts on this? Kind of asking discovery questions that you would ask on a demo itself in the message itself that you're sending. Aha. So that, that was my next question. You mentioned a very good point. So for you, the call to action should not be, hey, by the way, do you want to book a demo? Are you free tomorrow at 4 p.m.? Like, it's not that. It's for you, it's asking a high impact question to be able to continue the conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So have you done any studies, Nadja, the team over at Lemnist and yourself on when you use story and then have a call to action, which is in your case, um, a discovery question. Have you done any uh, studies or experiments on how that increases reply rates? So I've had, I, we didn't do like a large studies, but I did have a couple of campaigns where I A-B tested uh, when I'm actually kind of building up credibility and mentioning my story to see and not doing it. So like A-B testing in the, the sequence uh, and I got the better replies with uh, with the ones where I actually kind of shown my story and like actually build up some credibility by sharing the story itself. I would say that it's really about like also how you communicate it about a copywriting as well. But again, like uh, this is something where you can, you know, take step by step, learn about it, like experiment, polish it, and then you will see. But for us, like it's been working. And from what I could see, like right now, that's the only way that I'm actually doing outreach. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny when it comes to storytelling, you know, I was coaching this SaaS sales team the other week and one of the individuals said, I really want to use my personal story, but how vulnerable should I be, Rev? And it's a very tricky question, you know, to answer because it's different for different people. You know, authenticity means different things to different mm. people. For you, how do you choose how vulnerable to be? What's the acid test for you to know, oh, no, this is a verbal vomit or <laughs> actually, no, this is actually serving my ideal client here. Oh, okay. So what I always do is like I try to see, uh, I'm going to share only the, my part of the story that I can see can actually relate with them. So if I'm not going to talk about like my relationship with my CEO or my employees or my, uh, I don't know, like anything that is not really something that they could relate to, obviously try to avoid touchy subjects or anything that you don't want to like uh, to go outside of your, like you need to be careful about your company brand as well, uh, not to overshare. Um but really, if, if it's something that uh, you feel the other person is struggling with as well, this is the moment where you can uh, kind of find that common ground and share it. Uh, for us in sales, obviously, the conversion rates on the reply reply rates, open rates, etc., all of these things are something that we're always trying to improve and optimize. Um, and this is something that I can always share and say, like, listen, my open rates used to suck at one point. I had like, I don't know, 5 to 10% reply rates. By doing this and this, I managed to get them over 25% plus. So like, this is something where I would kind of share my story, my flaws, my some my previous mistakes in the past. And I would be open about them because we all make mistakes. Again, like it's just finding something that you have a common with a, with a person that you're reaching out to. Yeah, I love that because it sounds as though from what you're saying, Nadja, for you, it's about connecting with that ideal client. It's not just their problem, but that source of pain versus mm. some random thing that happened to you when you were 12 years old that's impacted yeah, exactly. you today. It's like, how 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 is that even relevant? Okay, so ladies and okay. gents, relevancy, right? That's what Nadja is <laughs> saying. She's talking about relevancy, man. Okay, dope, dope, dope. So when it comes to personal stories, we've spoken a little bit about that. 
Let's talk a little bit about customer success stories here. Have you had much, well, actually a better way to ask this is Nadja is at what point should somebody share a customer success story? Because sometimes let's be real, we can do it too early. <laughs> For sure. Uh, definitely not use personally. Like what I'm trying to coach my team is to avoid any typical uh, best practices uh, if there are best practices, that means that everybody else is doing that and prospects can spot it on the first first time that they even open your email, they're going to see like, you know, companies like X6 and X are using this and this because I mean, everybody, like I can even like name it right now, like on top of my head, just because I've seen it so many times. Um, I would say that to use the customer success story only when it makes sense. So in terms of like when you're reaching out to them uh, and uh, if it's the first email and you really, it's maybe potentially hard for your product to describe what your product does. Maybe it's revolutionary. Maybe it's something completely outside of the box. Uh, share it, but do share customer success stories only um, using the companies that are similar to the companies that you're reaching out to. So if I'm reaching out, for example, to Gong uh, as a sales automation platform, I would be uh, mentioning maybe a case study use that we've done with Clary. So like using their competitors, using their uh, in the same industry, in the same niche, in the same space, those success stories make sense. But using any success story or like mentioning a company that doesn't have to do anything with them, it's completely like a, a wrong approach. When to use it really depends on the on the copy. I cannot really <laughs> give a, give a proper answer here. That's fair enough. No, it's it's interesting. You go back to relevancy and also thinking about the individual's challenges, desires, their DNA. So that makes yeah, that makes total sense, Nadia. Now let's move to call to actions and ultimately, you know, for those that are listening right now, what we're really talking about here is. How do you use storytelling inside of your cold messaging to really make your call to action that much more effective versus a hard call to action, a one-liner, boom. Do you, do you fancy a demo? It's, um, yeah, it's not going to work for anybody in today's world. So what would you say, Nadja, are the three key, uh, key ingredients rather for a high converting call to action? Asking a proper question. Let's call it like that. So instead of dropping your calendar link and saying like, uh, let's uh, let's schedule a call next uh, sometime next week using my calendar here, you haven't even uh, identified if the person is even interested in what you're saying. So if you haven't gotten any response in the meantime, if you haven't had like any interest from their end on the first in the first place you're just pushing the meeting without even establishing if there is a need for the meeting in the first place your call to action in the first message at least is to identify if there is something to even talk about on that meeting so like as i said like think about it as a discovery question that you would ask on a call so are you currently facing a concrete pain that you might be help solving or using the storytelling as we mentioned. So like, for example, I would be reaching out to bootstrap companies and I would be saying, okay, without investments, we know it's very hard to kind of uh, acquire more customers. Like uh, you're always kind of a need to be uh, on the thinking outside of the box, acquiring more, more clients using outbound methods. Uh, curious, how are you tackling, tackling this challenge right now in your stage of growth as you've crossed your 10 million mark? For example, so like you're just asking a question to kind of get them talking and then based on their answers, you're then able to kind of offer an advice, first of all. So like you're depositing the value saying like, OK, so maybe something that could have helped you out is by using this workflow, this uh, guide, this whatever you have as a content. 
Um, and this is a good moment where you can actually bring now the um, success story and tell them like, uh, I've just had a chat with uh, XYZ from this company. Uh, and we've talked about this. They managed to kind of do it uh, very easily. Would you be open, like happy to share this with you as well? Would you be open for a chat? But only when you've actually identified there is a pain, that they're interested in like what you have to say, that you've built some credibility, and then you're asking for, for a demo. Well, that's that's fascinating. So for you, it begins with asking that discovery question and then actually not prescribing a solution, but providing some value, as you said, mm. with what you've seen that has worked and then asking them, hey, do you want to go, you know, uh, on a discovery call and learn more about X, Y, Z? So that's super cool. That's interesting. What type of language should somebody avoid in their cold messaging? For example, there, is there any words that somebody should stay away from? Any sentences, any phrases? I saw I saw a very interesting post the other day on LinkedIn. Um, somebody was saying like, do you hate when you see the word curious in your emails? Uh, because everybody <laughs> recently started asking like, curious, how do you find this and this? Curious, how do you fixing this and this? Uh, I would say that the words that like I I would just cut uh, any unessential words from your outreach. So like don't try to overcomplicate it, make it super complex uh, or uh, too fancy. Like really go on like a very natural level of a communication as if you would send that message to a friend on your WhatsApp. That's what I often do. Like I would just text the message on the on WhatsApp and then I would transcribe it into the email. I think this is the mistake actually that a lot of salespeople make is that they're being too um they're not being confident in their outreach and they're like the, the putting themselves lower than the person that they're reaching out to, which the other person can definitely feel. And there is no reason for you as a sales rep to feel in any way on less qualified to talk to them. Uh, simply because you're like maybe you're on a lower level in your organization. So just being confident in your outreach, like cutting out all of the unnecessary words, cutting out the fluff and really sticking to like the tonality of the prospect that you're reaching out to. Every industry obviously is different. Every ICP is different. Best way to learn how your prospect prospects communicate is by talking to your current clients, uh, to current users of your product having networking chats with them and literally seeing how they're communicating when they're just like in their um, normal selves, like at home and like just talking to you via, via Zoom. Mm, and you mentioned boosting confidence there to not really put the prospect on a pedestal. What is one way that somebody could showcase that they are not less than their prospect? Is it, for example, using video or voice notes to get their personality across? What would you say? I, I basically gave you my opinion there, but yeah, well, what's yours? Hmm. Yeah, I would say that definitely like uh, being, uh, if you're good in, I would say that not everybody's good in videos, obviously. So like if you're not really, if that that's not your challenge, just don't do it. Uh, but uh, using voice messages, using um, uh, videos in your outreach really, really helps out a lot. That's how you reached out to me. And like, I immediately like spotted your character even before we jumped on a call. So I think this is a very efficient way for you to reach out to prospects and like be, build up uh, the credibility of your outreach. Know your personality, people. Nadja, it takes me so long to write a text <laughs> style message. And I'm so like, I'm like, oh, let me just send a voice note, man. It's just so much easier for me. But I know a lot of people are killer 
when writing copy or text and it's their mm. it's their i suppose weapon of choice or their forte so hey people stick to um stick to your strengths but hey don't just shun your weaknesses so okay you've spoken really interestingly there about that three step CTAs to really get the demo. The first was to ask a discovery question. The second was to prescribe something, get some feedback on them, uh, on it, on your advice, and then ultimately ask for the demo. So it's not a, um, it's a jab, 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 right hook versus straight for the right hook, right? As Gary Mm -hmm. B would say. Mm -hmm. Now, once somebody has converted, they say, Nadja, cool, let's have a demo. Now they say, I'm not free tomorrow. I'm free next week. Now you've got seven days there. How can somebody use effective copy or storytelling to increase the likelihood of that individual showing up seven days later? I would say that uh, if you actually want your prospect to show up seven days later, in the meantime, in those seven days that you're waiting for the call, uh, send them some useful content, like just be in touch with them, uh, bring value if you can. Obviously, you're maybe not, you maybe you don't know yet what is their pain, but uh, if you communicated that through your outreach, like you would maybe get a sense of where they are and sending these little snippets or like these little value in the meantime will help you out a lot. Um, and then just the day before, obviously send a reminder before the chat, obviously, like you can also, um, what I do say uh, before you reach out, like um, when reminding people to show up on your demo, uh, remind them in the copy itself. It's important to highlight what they can expect from a demo. So you're not going to say like, okay, reminder that we're going to have a chat in 30 minutes. Tell them, hey, uh, really excited to chat with you like in 30 minutes about X, Y, and Z. Like, So what are they getting? Like try to make, um, to get them enthusiastic about the meeting even before they join because they might have forgotten it. It was like seven days. They might not even know if it's a demo or a networking call or whatever the hell it is. Wow, that's uh, that's that's a great great thing to really think about. Is get them thinking about what they're going to achieve by the end of the demo to get them excited about it. Yeah, that that's mm, super dope. Mm. That's that's great. Thank you, Nadja, for that. And look, I know you recently conducted an experiment last year. I think it was actually might have been even two years ago, but you took some of Lemlist's clients and conducted a cold outbound sequence for them. I'm curious to know. Which CTAs were the most effective and how much did they increase reply rates by? So it was actually until very recently, like we've stopped this project in January this year. The call to action that we've had there was um, uh, open-ended questions, like uh, curiosity-based questions. So like, uh, does this sound like something that you might be facing as well? Uh, So like, uh, does this, uh, like, is this something that you might be facing uh, at this moment of your growth? Um, so questions like where you're actually identifying if there is um, a pain, uh, as I said, like before, was were definitely the most converting ones. Uh, and then for some of the campaigns, we did have call to action to book a call when it was like asking for a product feedback or for a, this like a product market fit identification from the ICP. But uh, I would say every time that open ended question were really the the ones that converted. Do you mind sharing the difference between an open-ended and a close-ended question and why it's so powerful in your opinion when using open-ended? Yes. So for example, right now, let's say we've had like a copy where we would leave, we, we would kind of giving out the story of where the company is at this stage of growth. We've kind of highlighted potential pain. I might be able to say like, um, 
Uh, knowing that uh, your CEO was talking about this recently, I'm wondering if this is something that right now is uh, something that you're maybe facing as a challenge. And then question mark. The open-ended question would be like, how are you currently facing, how are you currently uh, managing these types of uh, uh, challenges that you're currently facing? And then they would list or they would explain like how they're currently doing it. Um, but if you have like a very close end question, it would be like yes or no. So you would say like, uh, uh is this something that you're curious to learn more about? No, <laughs> that's it. You know, so like it, it just stops there and like you're just left in a blank. Um, <laughs> but it, I would say that this, like there are so many different uh, angles on how you can create a, the call to action in this case. But I would say that every time that you're really identifying if there is a pain in the first place is essential and then uh, leaving them to raise their own interest without like pitching for and asking for something in the in the in the meantime. Is there a place inside of cold messaging where reps should use a close-ended question? I personally just use one question in the in my uh, in my message simply because yeah. if I have two questions, you're asking two questions that they need to respond to two questions that they're not even sure what they're asking. But uh, definitely, like obviously, like I'm not just saying that these are the call to actions that you should always use depending on your goal of the campaign in the first place, you might have like different uh, different perspectives. If you're reaching out, for example, to current clients that you already built a relationship with, uh, even asking for directly for a meeting next Thursday might work. You know, like it really depends who you're reaching out, how, what is the angle that you're you're going with. You mentioned something interesting about in your own sequencing, you use just one call to action. And I think that's mm. powerful because how many times have you heard people say, okay, subscribe to my YouTube channel, go to this link below, listen to the podcast. And they're like, uh, decision fatigue. Hello. Like your audience <laughs> are like, what, what do I do, man? Like, what do I do? So my belief is one call to action guides them down a very specific route. It, it sounds as though you share a similar belief. For sure. 100%. Take them down one route, people. Take them down one route. So I'm curious, and I genuinely am. I'm not just saying it, okay? I'm curious to know what, what's, what's one piece of advice that you would give to your former self if she was doing outbound uh, cold outreach in today's market, what advice would you give Nadja from five years ago? Oh, this is a horrible advice that every manager that listens to this will hate. But uh, my advice would be don't <laughs> listen to your manager. Um, I would say that uh, <laughs> uh, in a way, just to, just to explain my, my thinking here, uh, I would say obviously like, listen to your manager's advices, uh, templates that they're giving out, the coaching, etc. But don't uh, listen to it blindly, but really try to find what works for you um, and experiment with it. Don't be afraid to fail, to uh, make a fool out of yourself, even in your outreach, but really try to find what works for you. And uh, you will be able to do that only if you're not just blindly following your manager. So in that way, do not listen to your manager <laughs> let's hope your team aren't listening to this episode huh? let's <laughs> yes but they, they know they know they know <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know what i there's there's one thing you know for me one of the most powerful takeaways from this the one thing for me has been that three-step process that you use which is ultimately the first call to action is not 
will you marry me? Meaning, <laughs> will you uh, buy my product or will mm. you come on a demo with me tomorrow? Or can I conduct a demo, etc.? It's ultimately asking a very high impact discovery question, something which they may not have been asked before, which will be mm-hmm. a really impactful pattern interruption. And then adding value. And everyone says, how do you add value? How do you add value? Well, actually showing them one way they could have done something differently through your experience. And then finally, the final thing you do in terms of the final call to action is then if it makes sense, ask them for, uh, invite them for a demo. So that's been super Mm -hmm. powerful, super, super insightful. Now, my final question to you, Najee, is when it comes to influential communicators, who do you look up to? You know, who do you look up to for advice when it comes to influential communication? I'm really biased here simply because my mentor in uh, building out my personal um, my personal brand was my CEO, Guillaume. He's done a wonderful job of like growing not only mine, but uh, like every employee's comp- uh, every employee in, in our company, uh, their own brands. So he's definitely somebody that I look up to. Um, and uh, obviously, like on the on the thought leadership side, there are so many of them that I can like not even like list them right now. I would say that um, David Reed from Gong is uh, an amazing uh, copywriter, at least on LinkedIn. I love his newsletter. I love the, what he's writing on, online. Kevin Dorsey, obviously, we, we talked about him earlier before. Uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of right now. I would say like Chris Walker is one of the the people that I really admire when it comes to like the and the one that I've learned a lot from as well throughout my career. But uh, I would say that it's really like there are so many of them that I, if I name a few of them, I would feel bad without mentioning the other ones. So it's like, let's leave it at, at this at the moment. I really like Chris. I learned so much from his posts. Mm. Sometimes they're, you know, he's one of the v- very few individuals for me anyway. If I see a five minute video, I'm going to watch that. And I don't always do that. A lot of the time, I don't have the attention span for a 40 second Mm. video. And that's just the truth. I don't know if you feel the same, but Mm. that is super insightful. Ladies and gents, this was an interesting, interesting episode on ultimately how to use storytelling to craft compelling CTAs that your ideal prospects can't say no to. Nadia, appreciate you. Where can people find more info about you, what you're up to at Lemlist, learn more about the brand story because it's a high impact brand story, people. Where can people learn more? I would say definitely number one uh, place is my LinkedIn profile. So look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm very active there. I'm posting constantly and uh, I'm really happy to always connect with anybody. So don't hesitate to send me a DM. Happy to kind of help out if you are struggling with anything or like you just need mentorship, guidance, etc. I'm love to talk to uh, anybody on LinkedIn, really, uh, as long as you're not pitch slapping with your products. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I would say that, yes, LinkedIn for sure. And if you're interested, obviously, to learn more about Lamlist, uh, then the website would be the best place to go. There you have it, people. No pitch slaps in the DMs. <laughs> Lead with genuine authenticity. I'll see you next week and I'll see you on the other side. Peace. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it 
with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. 